in the beginning, you created everything. Your hands hold every inch of the galaxies in place. You built a world that shouts for its creator. Custom built me to be exactly who I am. Nothing more, nothing less. And my favorite part of it all is that you have always loved me, and you always will. Hey, Fort Spark, good morning. Great to see you guys today. Hey, we're continuing our series called Wonder. This is part two. want to welcome you here today. So glad you've chosen to be here in the room. Also, those of you watching online, what an honor it is to have you with us, no matter where you are, if you're local or even around the nation or somewhere else. Thanks for being with us. Hey, before we jump into part two of our series, we want to go over again, what is the mission of Forest Park? Why do we do what we do? Why do we give? Why do we serve? Why do we attend? Why do we have groups? Why do we have outreach? On and on it goes. Here's our mission statement. We want to help people follow Jesus one step at a time. Now, if you are new to Forest Park, maybe that's the first time you've heard it. Those of you who call Forest Park home, you hear this every week. Why? Because we want to keep hammering home the reason why we do what we do. We want to help people, come alongside people, and assist them with taking their next step in following Jesus. That's what it's about. We believe everybody has a next step. Even if you've been following Jesus for 25 years, you have a next step. And maybe you've been following Jesus for a week, you have a next step. Or maybe you're not even following Jesus at all, and you're just like, I'm just kind of here to check things out. I'm not so sure I believe in all this religion stuff. That's fine. You have a next step. So we want to help you whatever that is. That's the reason we do what we do. All right, let's jump into part two of our series, Wonder. You know, I've always been quirky when it comes to religion and all things God. My passion for the Bible, Jesus, church, and ministry began early in life, which did not help me with making friends or meeting girls. I was just kind of the religious guy, you know. And if you remember from part one uh, of the series last week, I mentioned how my journey with God began one summer evening when I was six years old. And following my first encounter with God, I craved God's presence, even through all the dark and dry times I talked about last week. I still wanted to experience God. I wanted to know God was with me. I just didn't want to know it here. I wanted to feel it. I wanted to experience it. I wanted to know that I know that I know God was with me. And the way I gauged God's presence was whether or not I could feel his presence. It was emotional. I wanted to make sure that I could sense him, feel him, know in my body, if you will, in my senses that God was with me. So when I came to church, man, I, I tried to worship to the best of my ability. I tried to pray hard. I tried to surrender everything. I assumed that I would get as much as I gave. So I gave everything I had uh, believing that God would give me more and allow me to feel him more. And if I didn't experience God's presence, at least to the level I wanted to, then I concluded something was wrong with me. I was failing somewhere. 
And if you could go back in time and kind of watch me when I was in my you know, later teen years and in my early adult years, you would see that I put a tremendous amount of pressure on myself to feel God's presence. Man, a pressure to pray, pressure to worship, pressure to share my faith, to read the Bible, to conform, to meet the standard of what I thought was a good, productive, and growing Christian. And for a number of years... I met the standard, or at least the standard I had in my mind. And I was reasonably happy. I was pretty confident, even though I went through those dry periods I talked about last week, those dark periods of wondering where God was. As soon as I you know, was able to kind of get myself back into the flow of things and I felt God's presence return in my life, you know, I, I was a pretty confident guy. I was pretty happy overall with my experience with God, except in one specific area, and that's what I want to talk to you about today. No matter how much I prayed and worshiped and read scripture, I could not reach the level of faith I thought I needed to be an exceptional Christian. And you got to understand, I did not want to just be a Christian. I wanted to be an exceptional Christian. I didn't want to just come and sit in church and listen to a sermon, clap my hands when it's appropriate, lift them through my favorite song, and then go home and not think about God or think about Scripture or think about ministry anymore. I wanted to be an exceptional Christian. I wanted to be at the top tier, if you will. And I was taught that faith was believing even when no evidence was available. That's what was preached from the front. That's what I was told in classes. That's what people explained to me faith was. And this was especially challenging for me because I am an evidence junkie. I don't know if anybody else is, but I collect information. I research topics, and I only believe something when the data allows it. Well, everything in my religious upbringing suggested I didn't need evidence to believe. I should believe simply because, quote, God said it. And since God said it, then you got to believe it, whether there's evidence for it, whether you feel it, whether you personally believe it or not, that's it. Well, that didn't work for me. And I struggled for a long time. Now, this was a quiet struggle. I sat in the seat. I participated in the church. Uh, I even went into, you know, seminary. Uh, I, you know, did all the things I was supposed to do in church. Um, but I struggled. Down deep inside, I was like, I just don't know if this is going to work for me. And what complicated everything further was my faith tradition used as examples men and women who had extraordinary faith. And of course, I wanted to follow their examples. I wanted to be like them. They were my heroes. I wanted to emulate their faith. And I tried Trust me, I tried. When I was 18, I was reading book after book by some of the most faith-filled people who ever lived. I prayed their prayers. I read their preferred uh, passages of Scripture. I devoured their journals. I did it all, yet I struggled. And I thought something was wrong with me. I was like, what is going on? All these other people seem to have this great faith, these great men and women of faith, the people of history. They just believe God no matter what, and I'm struggling, and I don't get it. Well, I've done a lot of kind of soul-searching, if you will, kind of looking back at my past and trying to plot 
you know, the journey and why I struggle with what I struggle. And I do that because I want to help other people on the journey. And if I've learned something and I can deposit what I've learned into you and help you, then that's great. So I realize now that I made a couple of assumptions which caused me unnecessary pain for a long time. Here's one of the assumptions I made about faith. I assumed great faith was required. And it was kind of the faith tradition in which I was in. I, in other words, I, I thought all Christians were, were supposed to have strong, vigorous faith. Not some Christians can, some Christians do, but so all Christians ought to. There was a big oughtness in my life about faith, and I ought to have this faith. And if I didn't, then it needed to be fixed in me. So I carried that assumption with me everywhere. The second assumption I had is that I assumed great faith was a reflection of my character. So if I had weak faith or small faith, then it revealed a defective spiritual health in my life. And that bothered me. So I was just going around going, well, I'm not measuring up because everybody ought to have this great faith. And if I have small faith or weak faith, then something must be wrong with me. And I just started looking internally and trying to figure out what it was and trying to fix it. Needless to say, and you've heard a lot of my story before, I just lived miserable for so long. Well, I now know neither assumption was true. And if I knew then what I know now, I would have enjoyed my young adult years and following Jesus so much more. But enough about me. Let's talk about you. All right? I want you to be honest, okay? How much do you struggle with faith? How much do you struggle with faith? Do you sometimes fight to believe? If we could get into your life and we could sit down and say, okay, let's just peel back all the, the stuff on the outside. You know, you're supposed to act a certain way when you're at church and you read your journals every, I mean, your, your devotion every day or you read the Bible every day and you come to church. And, but how, how many times are you coming to church trying to fight off the doubts, trying to fight to believe? Just, just be honest. Do you have difficulty maintaining wonder? Wonder about Christianity. Do you have a difficult time maintaining faith? Does it ebb and flow? I don't mean a little bit. I'm talking about sometimes you're up here, but most often you're down here when it comes to faith, when it comes to believing. Do you sometimes think, you know, I'm not, I'm not so sure prayer works, God. I mean, at times do you question whether faith actually matters all that much anyway? I mean, you know, God's going to do what God's going to do. So well, what gives, whether I have faith or not? Does it really work? Do you sometimes think, you know, if I had more faith, then I'd probably pray more and read the Bible more, and I'd probably feel the wonder Christians talk about more, but I don't, and I don't, and that's why I don't. Well, if that's you, I mean, just, just one person sitting in this room, if you're struggling with that, if you're going through that, if somebody watching online is struggling with that, listen, 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 I want you to be encouraged today, okay? Because I'm going to take some things that I've learned in my life, and I'm going to do everything I can to deposit them into you and hopefully bring some encouragement and some salve to that wound in you and bring some strength to that weak faith that you feel like you have today. Because I've struggled my entire life with maintaining what people refer to as great faith. Now, I go through seasons when it's stronger than others, but the struggle is real. 
And here's what I'm going to do, okay? I'm going to tell you a story out of the Gospels that when I finally understood this, and I mean it really clicked inside of me, it just kind of snapped, it all fell into place. It not only brought hope to me, but it began to set me free. And I hope it'll do the same thing for you, all right? In Mark chapter 9, there's a well-known story about Jesus encountering a father. He meets a father, and this father has a son who is suffering from an illness. I mean, he is going through probably the most difficult thing anybody could go through, this, this child. And according to the story, everything has been done to bring relief to the boy, and nothing has worked. So in desperation, the father approaches Jesus and asks him to get involved. And Jesus inquires of the father, hey, hey, sir, tell me, how long has your son been going through what he's going through? And the father's answer is, since he was a child. Now, when I read any story, in, especially in the Gospels, I do the best that I can to kind of enter into the story. I want to kind of sit there on the sidelines and watch this happen in my mind's eye. I want to feel the emotion. I, want to, I wonder what the Father felt. I wonder what Jesus was thinking and feeling. I wonder what the disciples were thinking and feeling. What were the Pharisees or teachers of the law thinking and feeling as they were watching this entire thing unfold? So I, I get myself immersed in these stories and do the best that I can to imagine them and picture them. And hopefully if I can get into the narrative and into the story and feel what the people are feeling, at least to the best of my ability, something will click, something will snap, something will make sense to me that maybe just a cursory reading of it just doesn't do for you. And I, I just can't help but when I read this story to feel the, the tiredness in the father's answer. Defeat. Almost a, you know, Jesus, I don't know what else to do. He's been like this since he was a kid. I mean, since a little child. And he's still struggling with this. And the father says something. And here's the reason why that I think the father must have felt that way. He says something that I suspect came from the depths of his soul. A request mixed with irritation, exhaustion, frustration. A request only a father who loves his son would say. Here's what the father said to Jesus. If you can do anything, help us. Show us compassion. And there's a slight emphasis on the word if. It was, to me, as I read this, it's, it's sort of like this. The father's saying this kind of in our modern language today. Look, look. Just be honest, Jesus. Can you help him or not? If you can help him, then please do. Because other people have said they could and they couldn't. So forgive me if I seem a little non-excited, but either you can help him or you can't help him. If you can help us, help us. That's how I would feel. If I had a son who was struggling with something his entire life and everybody had tried to re bring relief to him and bring deliverance to him and nothing seemed to work and then this miracle worker by the name of Jesus shows up and some people say he's the Messiah, some people say he's a nutcase, some people say he's a magician, I'm not really sure. All I know is I have a son who is in pain, I have a son who is in a mess and nobody seems to help him. So I just look at Jesus when I say, look, if you can help him, do it. I don't know what else to do. The father's response is exactly like some of us sitting here. 
exactly like some people at home right now. If we were honest, that's exactly what we would say to God about our situation. We would say, God, look, I'm tired. I am exhausted. I don't have much left. Either you can or you can't help me. So God, what's it going to be? You ever felt that way when you walked in church? You ever felt that way on a Monday morning? You ever felt that way at work? You ever felt that way when that temptation comes back? You ever felt that way when that addiction begins to rise and wrap its icy fingers around your soul again and pull you down? You ever felt that way when something in your life just flips upside down and it is not something you were expecting, but it is something that happens, and there you are in the misery again, there you are in the sin again, there you are in the addiction again, there you are fighting again with your wife or your husband, there you are with your finances in an uproar, and you're just like, you know what, you just walk into church, they say, lift your hands or clap your hands or let's sing this song and you're just kind of standing there some of you go through the motions you know you do all the things that people expect you to do but internally you're just like if you can do anything God do it because I don't know what else to do and nobody else seems to be able to help me I've been there in fact I think the father's comments might have come across a little brash because of how Jesus responds to what the Father says. The Father says to Jesus, if you can do anything, help us, show us compassion. And here's how Jesus responds to the Father. If you can do anything, anything is possible for the one who has faith. Now I'll be straight with you. I think the Father wanted to say, look, look, Jesus, okay? I said if because I don't know anymore. I just don't know anymore. I've had person after person say they could help, and nobody has been able to help. So I've lost some confidence, okay? That's the reason I said if. If you can help, then help. And then the Father makes a statement. And I read this statement, and I read this statement, and I read this statement throughout my life. I heard it in Sunday school. I heard it in churches. And I heard some even good sermons built around it. And I've heard people make some really good points. But when it finally got down into my soul, and I really saw this for the very first time, I mean, it finally clicked. The way this Father answers Jesus, it finally clicked. It not only encouraged me, but it began to set me free. And here's what the Father says back to Jesus when Jesus says, if, if you can do anything, you're, you're saying if to me, the Son of God, the Messiah, you're saying if I can do anything, anything is possible. And this is so important. For the one who has faith, and then the Father says back to him, I have faith, but help my lack of faith. Or as another translation words it, I believe, but help my unbelief. Now here's why I love this story and this Father's comment. When I first read this story years ago and kind of read over it, I thought, oh, that, that was nice. The Father, you know, said what he said about help my unbelief, and, you know, we all have unbelief at times. No, 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 no. When this finally went off inside of me, I realize now that the Father was being honest about what he needs. My son is sick, Jesus. No one else can help him. If you can help him, please do. If you can't help him, then just tell me and we'll move on to somebody else. No fluffy prayers, no eloquent language, just honesty. 
The reason I like this father's response is because he's also honest about what he has. He says to Jesus in this statement, I believe a little, I have faith. It's not like I don't think you can do anything, you can. I've come a long way, but I still have a long way to go. And last, I love the fact that he's honest about what he lacks. He's transparent. I believe, but not completely. I have faith, but not a lot. And the reason why this is so important is because people right here, you, me, all of us, everybody, we need to get honest. I'm talking about brutally honest in our lives. We need to say things like this. Jesus, listen, okay, here's the deal. Here's how I literally would want you to pray, something like this, because we got so many flowery prayers, and we, you try to use eloquent language, and we're like, well, I don't know if that's, like, you know, disrespectful to say that, and I'm not sure if this is okay. We almost treat prayer like it's some kind of magical formula or an incantation, and if you don't say the right words in the right order and you don't end the prayer the right way, then somehow the, the formula won't work. Almost like we need a kind of, if you've watched movies and things about, you know, certain, you know, kind of spells or something, and you've got to go through the right order. Oh, we forgot the, the toad. We've got to throw the toad in the, in, the, in, the, in the brew here. And we've got to have camel hair or something, you know. We've got to add that in. It's like, well, how come you prayed the prayer and it didn't work? I don't know. Maybe I didn't say in Jesus' name or something. I don't know. But I love this father. He's just honest, and that's where we need to be. We need to be Brutally honest like this, Jesus, here's the deal, okay? I don't believe that much. I mean, I, I try. I, I pray. You said anything is possible for those who have faith. Well, I, I have some faith, but I don't have a lot of faith. And I, I put forth the best effort to believe, but I'm not wired for a lot of faith, Jesus. I mean, some people are. My brother, he believes everything. He doesn't struggle with his faith at all. Bless him that's not me. I don't have his personality. I don't have his mind. He doesn't have my mind. I'm different than he is. I'm not wired for a lot of faith. Some people are, and that's awesome, but I'm not. So help my doubts. Save me from my own unbelief. I love that. And when I learned this prayer, it's like one of my go-to prayers. I mean, it's like one of my go-to prayers now. It's like, God, look, okay, I, I, I've heard about you. I've, I've studied you. I've read about you. I know what you've done in other people's lives. Other people tell me what you've done in their lives. I think that's awesome. So I have some faith, but I got a whole lot of non-faith. Help me. And this is the best part of the whole story. This is the part that I think will encourage you. The father's lack of great faith, his inability to believe completely, his faith mixed with doubt did not stop Jesus. In the face of doubt and unbelief and weak faith, Jesus still healed his son. When that clicked in me and I was like, wait a minute, this father didn't have great faith. This father had lots of unbelief. This father was tired. He was exhausted. He said, I've got some faith, but I don't have all faith. Help me with my faith struggle. Even in the middle of all of that, Jesus still delivered his 
son. Listen, folks, for a long time, I thought I had to muster up enough faith to see miracles. Man, I, I, I thought I had to somehow reach a certain level. Yeah, yeah those of you who are kind of in my generation or a little older than me, you remember the, the games, not computer games. Everything's on computers now. But you remember the games, like the game called like Spill the Beans? You remember that? I don't know if some of you do. And it was like you, you put these little beans, little plastic beans in this bucket, and you don't want to spill them, and the person who puts the last bean in it tips it over, then they kind of like lose, you know, and you want to get, it's kind of, you know, kind of like Jenga when you play that, you take it out, and you hope it continues to stand, but if you remove the wrong piece, it all falls over. For a long time, I thought that's the way faith operated. I thought for a long time that's the way, pray, that's the way prayer operated. What do you mean? Well, this person is sick, and they probably require a certain amount of faith to get healed and a certain amount of prayers. And I don't know how much faith and how many prayers, but i got to keep asking. i got to keep praying, and eventually I'm going to put the last prayer on, and when I put the last prayer on, it's going to tilt over, and they're going to get their miracle. Like a certain amount. i got to build it up. Not true. I thought faith was like the combination to the lock of God's miracles. So I come to church on Sunday, click. I pray a prayer, click. I give money in the offering, click. Pray another prayer, click. Now you can open the door and open the door, and boom, God's blessings would come out. Nope, that's not it. I thought God would and could only do things in proportion to my faith. Little faith, little things. Great faith, great things. So my goal was to get great faith so that then God would meet me and give me great things. Complete misunderstanding. This father said, Jesus, I still have unbelief. I don't know the combination lock. There are things I don't believe. There are things for which I don't have faith. And Jesus still had compassion, and he still healed his son, even though that man's faith was weak. And here's the truth that began to set me free. And before I give it to you in kind of a little neat little package that maybe you can remember, I want to show you one more passage of Scripture that I'm going to give that to you. And it's found in Luke 17. Just listen to me as I tell you this. It's not a long story, just a real quick happens with uh, the disciples. One day, the disciples notice how much Jesus commended those who had great faith. Because Jesus was always going around going, wow, you have great faith. You have great faith. I've never seen such great faith. I mean, he's just always going around commending people with great faith. And the disciples come to him and go, um, Jesus, you're always commending people who have great faith. So um, here's what the disciples say to Jesus. The disciples said to the Lord, increase our faith. I mean, you're always going around telling people what a wonderful thing it is that they have great faith, and we don't have great faith, and we need great faith, so increase our faith. Now, you would think Jesus would say something like this. Absolutely, Peter. Sit down, because I'm going to give you three ways to increase your faith. Let me give you a sermon, and it's going to tell you the steps on how to get great faith. That's what a lot of sermons do. Let me give you four ways. Let me give you three ways. Let me tell you exactly how you increase your faith. We're going to do a whole sermon on how to make your faith great. That's not at all what Jesus says. 
Jesus does not teach them how to increase their faith. Listen to what Jesus says here. And all this is going to connect in a minute. And when this connects, I'm telling you, it sets, I told you I was quirky. Okay, you might, you might go, it didn't have that same effect on you. Well, you know, I'm a little weird. Okay, watch this. Jesus doesn't teach them how to increase their faith. Here's what Jesus said. The Lord replied, if you had the faith the size of a mustard seed, that's little tiny. If you've ever seen a mustard seed, it is very, very small. He says, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. In other words, increase your faith, Peter. Peter, you don't need more faith. It's not the amount of faith. It's not about more and greater faith. No, 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 no. See, you misunderstood what I've been teaching about faith. Just a little faith. I mean a tiny, small amount of faith the size of a mustard seed could perform great miracles. It's not a lot of faith. Here it is. It's pure faith. It doesn't take a lot of faith. It takes small amounts of pure faith. And here's kind of the way the phrase I put it. I'm going to explain it because I'm going to give it to you. Mike. I'm not really understanding exactly what he means. I'm going to explain it. Here's a little, little, little snippet how I write it. It's, it's not the amount of your faith. It's the object of your faith. This changed my life. See, it's not do I have faith, a lot of faith. It's in whom have I placed my faith. Because you don't have to have a lot of faith to tell a tree to get uprooted and thrown into the sea. In fact, if you had pure faith in the right object, you could have faith the size of a mustard seed and see a miracle. It's not the amount. It's where you place your faith. Maybe this will help, okay? A person can have a lot of faith, great faith, in a parachute. He can believe in the parachute. He can trust the parachute. He can gather so much in the faith in the parachute, he jumps out of an airplane with the parachute. But if the parachute is dry-rotted and falling apart, the parachute won't save him, and it doesn't matter how much faith he has in it. You can stand at the edge of that plane and jump out of that plane, and when it dawns on you that the parachute is falling to pieces, it doesn't matter how much you go, I believe, I believe, I believe. I trust, I trust, I trust. Because you're going to hit the ground. Also, a person can have almost no faith in a parachute. She can doubt the parachute, curse the parachute, and reluctantly fall out of the airplane. But if the parachute is solid, her doubts won't stop the slow descent to safety down below. We put way too much emphasis on our faith and not nearly the emphasis on the fact that he can be trusted. Does that make sense? Thank you.
It's all dark out there, so I hear a voice from the darkness say, yes, bless you, my sister. It's not do I have faith. It's do I have faith, even if it's small, in the right object. Instead of trying to get more faith, take the faith you have and place it in Jesus. Even if your faith is shaky, even if you don't fully believe, although you seem to have more doubts than faith, take what you have and place it in him. He is so solid and so sure and so great that even if you doubt all the way from the plain to the ground, he will set you down safely. Listen, folks, okay? Confession. If our safety and eternal destiny and healing for other people and other people's salvation and church growth and our kids' future and our marriages and tomorrow's security and on and on and on are all dependent on us maintaining strong faith and vigorous beliefs about things we cannot see, we are all in trouble. Please tell me Christianity and Jesus have better news than that. Because if everything hangs on my ability to maintain great faith, we're in trouble. The last I checked, even when I don't trust, and even when I have a hard time believing, I am in his hands securely. It's not about me holding on to him. It's about him holding on to me. Let me wrap this message up with a quick, quick story from Matthew 14. One evening, Jesus gets finished teaching. And he instructs his disciples to get into a boat and go across the lake. And they do. And while they're getting in the boats and they're going across the lake, he sends the crowds home, tells them to go home. After his disciples set sail and the crowds disperse, Jesus goes up on a mountain and begins to pray alone. A storm begins to brew on the lake, and the boat begins to rock in the water. Needless to say, the disciples are afraid. Suddenly, one of the disciples looks out across the lake that's just tossing and turning and sees what he thinks is a ghost on the water, and now they're all petrified. But it isn't a ghost. It's Jesus, and he's walking on top of the water. They cry out to him, and Jesus begins to walk toward them. And when he does, Peter calls to Jesus and says, if that's you, let me come to you. And Jesus says, sure, Peter, come on. Get out of the boat, walk to me. And Peter gets out of the boat and begins to walk. But if you know the story, you know that Peter doesn't just walk directly to Jesus and then walk back. No, no, no. He loses his confidence once he's out there on those waves and he begins to sink. And when Peter begins to sink, Jesus doesn't scold him. Jesus doesn't mock him. Jesus doesn't say, too bad, you're going to drown now. No, he says, you have little faith. You have little faith, Peter. But he reaches down. He takes him by the hand. He pulls him back up onto the water. And together they walk back to the boat. As long as Peter is focused on Jesus, he's fine. 
But as soon as he focuses on self and the storm around him, he begins to sink. Again, it's not how much faith you have. It's in whom do you have your faith. A couple of Saturdays ago, uh, my grandson Grayson, he's two years old. I'm sure you've seen him on Facebook. He and Elliot, you know, they're always on Facebook. He's two years old. He came over to my house, and I had the joy of lying with him until he fell asleep, take his afternoon nap. And I love lying down with him, if you, if you know what I'm talking He's so sweet. He's so cuddly, you know. He's a great napper. He'll drift off to sleep, sleep three hours or so. It didn't take him long. He was tired that day. About 10 minutes, he's out. He's gone. And after he fell asleep, I laid there in bed with him for, I don't know, another 15 minutes just to make sure that he was nice and asleep. And then I got up. I had several chores around the house. Lana was gone. Cameron was gone. And I had some things I needed to take care of. And Grayson had no idea that I had all this work to do. He didn't know that we were planning a Mother's Day dinner the next day and I had to get food prepared. And he had no concept of the sermon I still needed to finish up because the next day was Mother's Day. And, you know, I was going to trash I had to take to the dump that. No, no, he, he didn't know anything that I was doing. He was asleep. Why? He trusts. He trusts me to keep him safe to let him sleep as long as he wants to meet all of his needs, no matter what I have going on, no matter how much work, no matter what, he sleeps knowing I'm in charge. That's what I want for you. I want you to be able to rest, rest, knowing that no matter what God has going on, he's got you. Rest, even though you have a little bit of faith, place it at him and rest so here's my question for you and our band's going to close us out in a song and we're going to go in just a minute but here's my question how different would your life be if you took the small amount of faith and you quit stressing over the fact that it's not a lot and you refuse to worry about how you feel and whether or not you pray correctly and whether or not anything else and you just took that little bit of faith you have and you place it in Jesus, and you trusted him to make the difference. I'm telling you, that question could change everything. Just like the Father, what problem, what sickness, what confusing situation are you facing right now? And just a little bit of faith, pure faith in Jesus would change everything. Just like Peter, what storm, what fear, what body of water are you facing? And keeping your eyes on Jesus, not a lot, just a little, pure faith would change it all. We're going to close in this song, and as our band sings this song, plays this song, sings this song, listen, I want you to make this song your prayer today. This is a perfect prayer song to just say, I don't even know what to say, God. Let these words, let these lyrics be your prayer and say, God, give me some faith. Just, just, just a little. Just give me pure faith in you. I don't need a lot. I just want to trust you. I just want to close my eyes and rest on you and let faith rise in you and trust him.